0: An urban legend in the city of New York that was so real the police had to intervene. And then we take a trip through a graveyard to see some of the creepiest, most odd headstones possible. It's an interactive adventure, so today you'll find out how you will die, today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio, I'm your host Jason Carpenter, I'm having a great day, I hope you guys are having a great day too. I think you guys probably have noticed by now, last week and this week, last week we only did four episodes, this week we're only going to do four episodes, that's just a byproduct of me being here with the family, I don't have as much time to actually prep and record episodes, so I apologize for that, so you'll get, you got four episodes last week, you'll get four episodes this week, but that's not going to be a continuous thing starting the following week, we'll be back on regular schedule. Let's hop on board the Carpenter Copter. We are headed to New York City. The Big Apple. Home of Statue of Liberty. I saw a documentary once. A bunch of goo went... Never mind, that. Okay, so all aboard. Choo-choo. Not... Dude, why don't we have a train? We should have a dead rabbit train. Um, the Rabbit Railroad. Hop on board the Rabbit Railroad. Choo-choo. Choo-choo. <laughs> like a machine gun. Anyways, we're on the Rabbit Railroad. We're taking it across the country. We are headed to New York City. And this train, like most of our vehicles, have teleportation. Wait, no. Then They don't need to be a vehicle. They have time travel ability. So as we're on the Rabbit Railroad, which has f- every seat is first class. So you guys are eating well. The Carpenter Copter just has, like, MREs. This <laughs> this time, you actually, like, get fine dining. We're going through a time portal. And we're in the 1980s. We're in the late 1980s. And we're in New York. All aboard. Wait, no, no. Everyone get off. How do they tell you to get off? How do they tell you to disembark? I guess just, the train's stopping at your destination. But anyways, we get off the train. and We're walking around New York City, late 80s. And we see a young kid walking through the streets. He just left his high school in Brooklyn. He's walking through the streets of New York. Backpack over his shoulder. One shoulder because he's a cool kid. He's walking through the streets of New York, and he keeps looking over his shoulder. He's clutching his backpack super tight. And we're like, oh well, man, this kid must, must be super paranoid. He's looking around. And we're like, hey, kid, what, what's going on? What's going on? He's like, don't you know? They're everywhere. He looks around, darts around. He's seen groups of kids just kind of pass him by. And every time a kid walks by him, he looks over. We're like, dude, what's going on? He's like, the Decepticons. He says it in a near whisper. We barely hear him over the hustle and bustle of the city. Like, the Decepticons. He's like, shh, don't say it so loud, idiot. And then we're like, you mean Decepticons as in, like, the Transformers? And he's like, no. No, I'm not worried about fighter jets turning into robots. That would be cool. I'm talking about the Decepticons. And at that point, we realized during the course of our conversation, we seem to be surrounded by about 15 to 20 teenagers. And we realize that even though they're not wearing any gang colors, they're not dressed like hoodlums, they actually are dressed quite preppy. They have their eyes on what we have. Now, I don't know what I have on me. I guess I have the keys to the rabbit railroad. This kid has his backpack, and I'm assuming you at least have something. Whatever's to your right of where you're sitting right now is the only weapon that you have available. I have an antique chair from my mom's desk, so that magically appears, and I'm swinging into these kids. And he's like, no, 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 those aren't the Decepticons. (laughs) Those aren't the Decepticons. Those are the Decepticons. And we look, and there's a bigger crowd of kids that now there's a huge fight going on. So I've started a fight with a bunch of innocent kids. The real Decepticons have showed up. You're bashing people with whatever you have. Hopefully, it's more than a Hot Pocket. Hopefully, it's like a, a weapon. But that was this gang. Back in the late 80s, there was these three kids got together. okay, And they called themselves the Decepticons. The three original members were Cyclonus, Rumble, and Megatron. And those are actual characters from the cartoon. And they said, this is the way this gang's going to work. We are Decepticons. We are not robots in disguise. We are gangbangers in disguise. No gang colors whatsoever. We dress really preppy. We wear like nice shirts, nice pants. We look like the average high school student and we rob people blind. They also like grouped up to protect themselves from other people. But you had this group, this gang that kind of defied expectations of what a late 1980s gang were. And the kids at high schools, it started off in Brooklyn, and it spread throughout the city of New York. And it started off with just these three kids, and then eventually they graduated, not literally from high school. I don't know if they ever graduated from high school, but they graduated to more bigger thefts, where they would do mob thefts. About 10 to 20 people would surround you, beat you up, take your stuff, and then disappear into the city. The police for a while thought it was an urban legend, because these kids were terrified. And their parents were like, my kids are telling me there's this gang that nobody knows about that's beating people up. And the cops are like, that's not how gangs operate. But as more and more reports came through, the police were like, this is a real gang. And there's no way to track them. There's absolutely no way to track them. They're not... You can't look down the street and see three dudes wearing all red and be like, oh, those are bloods. Like, you would just be walking through a department store and a guy would come up behind you and hit you over the head. That was a Decepticon. The rumors got to the point where... The Decepticons were going to start laying sieges to high schools. They were going to attack high schools on a certain day. And parents were going to the police and saying, you need to stop the Decepticons. (laughs) And they're like, okay, lady. I know how awesome the name sounds, but they do not have the ability to lay siege to a school. Parents began pulling their kids out of school. It was this nightmare for the schools. And for the kids. It wasn't just a nightmare for the schools. And the thing was, you'd think... It's, it's funny, because they don't identify themselves by color, you didn't want two groups of Decepticons walking into each other. They may not even know they're in the same gang. That's how deceptive, that's how good their technique was. Two groups of three kids each are walking down the street, and they're thinking about robbing each other. They don't know the other group is actually in the same gang. So they developed a code. They developed a series of sayings or hand signs we don't know. Because it was one of the most valuable secrets in New York for a teenager in the 1980s to know this code. Because that way, if you were approached by a Decepticon, you could say the right thing or do the right thing. They would think you were in the group and they'd leave you alone. So you would want that information. And everyone was like, thought they had a piece of the code or knew a piece of the code. But the Decepticons weren't willing to share that information with any outsiders at all. And they, they're wet. when they use weapons, a lot of times they beat you up, but when they use weapons, they use box cutters and hammers, which, again, which that would be kind of hard to pull off a preppy look with a hammer, but I guess if you had it in your backpack. In March 19th, 1989, the New York Times ran a profile on these guys saying, this was a quote from the article, it said, the police first became aware of the Decepticons in 1986. Sergeant Galia said the gang has lasted longer than he expected, probably because of its catchy name. Other gangs with more bulky titles have come and gone in the last three years. One group calling itself the Tonka Trucks <laughs> lasted but a few months. I would love to roll with a gang called the Tonka Trucks, and then just watch them get annihilated. And like, be like, I told you guys that. Told you guys that was a dumb name. Call yourself the Micro Machines. Like, come on. Like, Decepticons is a catchy name. They eventually died out in the 1990s. They're not around anymore. Or are they? Who knows? So hats off to you, Decepticons, for having a cool name, having an entire city in fear of you. And as well, hats off to you because you probably stole my hat right off my head. Let's hop on backboard. That was weird. Let's hop back on board the Rabbit Railroad. We are going to a cemetery. That cemetery fog being blown by cemetery wind. You know what? You can talk trash all you want about the Transformer movies. There's so many awesome elements in it. You think that's a, you think I'm going back to my old story, but I'm not. In Transformers 4, Age of Extinction, the military set up a group that their job was to hunt down Transformers and melt them and turn them into Transformium. That part's dumb. But the name of the military group was Cemetery Wind. And I was like, I remember watching the movie. Because when you start watching the Transformers movie, you think it's going to be good for the first 20 minutes. The third one was brilliant. First one was okay. But whenever I watch a new Transformer movie, for the first twenty minutes, I think it's going to be a masterpiece, and it's, sometimes I'm right. So for the first twenty minutes of Transformers Four, I was like, "Cemetery Wind!" Oh, that name is so badass. I want to get a jack. I want to get a Cemetery Wind military like jacket. Not like join the military to get one for real. I would actually if there was. we were hunting Transformers, but. I, wanted, I, I was like, can I get like memorabilia, like Cemetery Wind patch and put it on my backpack or something? And then I continued to watch the movie. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. But Cemetery Wind is still a dope name for like a paramilitary group. Anyways, that being said, this Transformer episode is full of stuff. This episode is full of Transformer stuff. I don't know why I keep saying stuff backwards. We are going to the graveyard. We're going to the graveyard and we're going to take a look at some crazy gravestones. Crazy gravestones. (laughs) You're thinking, Jason, seriously? Is that what you're doing this episode? Yes, because these gravestones have some really interesting backstories to them. I'm not just reading you stuff like, Papa farted and then he died. Like, yeah, I'm not doing that. And there are gravestones (laughs) out there like that. So I want you to pick a number between one and six. Pick a number between one and six. And before we do that, I'm going to read you a gravestone. Well, while you're doing that, I'm going to read you a gravestone that actually took out of the list because I just thought it was too dark. So if you picked zero, this is you. There's a gravestone in Blairstown, New Jersey, that says, this episode might be a little depressing. (laughs) Might be a little depressing. I found some interesting ones, but some of them are kind of depressing. This one says, Princess Doe. Missing from home. Dead among strangers. Remembered by all. Born, question mark. Found, July 15th, 1982. So the story behind that one I mean, imagine we're walking through this. Gra- I guess I should have set this up first. Me and you are walking through this graveyard. And once you pick the number that you win, you magically become that corpse. Like you travel back in time and die the way that died. I didn't want to put someone through this one. This is tragic. The story is they found the body of a girl in Blairstown, New Jersey, with her head bashed in, thrown into a ravine. And they, she was between the ages of 14 and 18. She's never been identified. They've never caught who did it. They just found the body of a young teenage girl just a heartbreaking tombstone. Missing from home, dead among strangers, remembered by all. So I didn't want to do that one and be like, ha (laughs) ha, you picked a 14-year-old girl whose head got bashed in. I I thought that was a little tasteless. Some of these other ones you, you might argue are tasteless too. But let's continue our journey through the cemetery. We look down at a gravestone. These are all real, by the way. These are all real. Look down at a gravestone and it says, we see a gravestone, we're very, very somber in the moment here. Baby monster, baby monster is what it says. Born October twenty third, eighteen eighty eight. Died February third, nineteen eighty nine. Now this is a real gravestone in Kent, Washington. Now the most likely scenario is that it was a it was a baby who comes from a family with the last name of Monster. That's the working theory with this gravestone. Nobody knows because it's so old. But there's a couple questions about it. One who has the last name monster how did you get that surname you your your ancestors were the ugliest people in europe and they're like ah you're the son of a monster and he was born october 23rd 1888 he died february 3rd no wait not 1989 that would have made a 100 years old i don't know if i said 1989 earlier but it's i've seen it on my notes now he died t- I hope I didn't say that. I don't. He died February third, eighteen eighty nine. So he lived what is that? Five months. They never even named him. They just called him Baby. So if you picked number four, I turn and look, and you're like, like <laughs> doing Benjamin Button style. You're shrinking down Nya! into a little <laughs> into a little baby monster, or or. A regular baby who just doesn't get named for five months and dies. I'm sorry. This episode, this, 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 that one was a little dark too. So if you pick number four, you're either a cool baby monster who lived from 1888 to 1989 stalking the wilderness. Or you're just an unnamed baby in a grave. One of the two. I'll let you choose. If you pick number four, you're either a baby monster who lived 99 years. No, 101 years. Or... You're just a a baby, just a regular baby whose dad's name was Monster. Okay, but assuming you didn't pick number four, you're not shrunken into a little ball in in the ground. I'm sorry, it's dark. We're moving on. And even if you did pick number four, you can come along. So now we have a little baby monster following us along. We come to another gravestone. Now, this gravestone is from a graveyard at the Ohio Asylum for the Insane. And you're like, great, I wish I had picked the baby monster. There's two gravestones. There's two of these gravestones. They both say the exact same thing. They're at the the Ohio Asylum for the Insane's graveyard, and they have one word on them: specimens. No one knows what they mean. No one know. Well, people know what the word specimen means. They can get a dictionary, but no one knows why they're on these gravestones. But if you pick number one, you know, because you either uh, turn into a bunch of body parts, because that's one of the theories. That they're basically gravestone, it's like caskets full of random body parts. So if you pick number one, you either become a collection of nothing but arms and feet. No torso, no legs, you're just a pile of body parts. Medical specimens. Or, I'll give you an option too, there's another theory, there's another little creepy theory about this. That the Ohio Asylum for the Insane was running experiments on the people there hooking electrodes up to their brain. Uh, That's actually not an experiment. (laughs) That was actually a legitimate treatment back then. Anyways, they were, like, making mutants in the asylum. They're trying to to create the perfect insane person. They're, like, having insane people bang each other and then having insane babies and then raising them and then having them mate as well, creating the genetically perfect insane person who has every... That's actually a pretty good idea for a movie. You have a guy who has every possible insanity. From like schizophrenia to like sexomnia, which is a real thing, it's where you bang people in your sleep. You just have the most insane person ever. And then he gets out. Don't don't write that. I'm gonna write that. Don't don't steal my idea. So but if you pick number one, you're either a collection of body parts or you're the plot of my new movie. And and interesting about this, why are there two of them? Did they have that whatever they were doing did that they have that many of them they needed two gravestones. But let's move on with this one. Now we're going to go keep going through this graveyard. We got a pile of body parts following us. We got a baby monster following us. And we come to another gravestone. And this one is very simple, very simple gravestone doesn't say specimens. It says Sir Geoffrey Hudson 1619 to 1682. And if you picked five, you're this one. If you picked number five, you're this one. I want to tell you that before so you can imagine if you picked five. I want you to understand the logic that you have to go through to make this work. It's on a gravestone. Sir Geoffrey Hudson, 1619-1682. A dwarf presented in a pie to King Charles I. And I remember reading that and I go, is that how he died? Was he a dwarf baked into a pie and he died? Like, how was that on your tombstone? Like normally, how you die is on your tombstone. What, what is this? Did King Charles eat a dwarf? So I had to look this up. I had to look all these up, by the way. I'm not just reading these off. So I had to do research on all this stuff. Sir Geoffrey Hudson was also known as Lord Minimus, which was Man Max's most least threatening villain. Lord Minimus was 19... I, I See, what's weird is all of this stuff is supposedly historically accurate because there is a ton of records kept on this dude, but some of the measurements don't add up. Lord Minimus, at age 10, he was 19 inches tall, which seems impossible. Seems absolutely impossible. The baby monster has given him the run for his money. The baby monster could beat up Lord Minimus. Anyways, Jeffrey Hudson was this little dude in the village and someone said you know what you should go see the king the king loves to laugh at people with deformities jeffrey's like yippee let's go and they thought of an ideal way to present him to the king was to bring the king a pie and they go here your highness here's a pie and the king's like that's kind of a letdown like i thought i was going to have some entertainment and jeffrey hudson jumped out of the pie and goes hi Hey everybody! I'm Lo- I'm Jeffrey Hudson. I don't have my name yet. He's waving at everyone covered in blackberry. He's covered in pie crust, and they didn't slay him as a demon right there. They actually thought that was an awesome trick because it's a human the size of a pie. It's a ten-year-old boy the size of a pie. The queen falls in love with him in the sense that she thinks he's the most fascinating man in the world. This is before Doseki's, so she begins taking him every. She took him everywhere that she goes. And he would actually ride in the pocket of the, they had this super tall porter who would like carry the bags and stuff like that. And Lord Minimus would ride in the pocket. So it was like this total, like, just basically a circus in your, you'd go to see the king to discuss like taxes or something like that. There's basically a bunch of circus freaks living there. He ended up being sent on missions. He was like, he became a diplomat. He was not like an official diplomat. He's not signing treaties but he would travel around on the king's bequest. He ends up getting kidnapped by Dutch privateers. They force this boy, he's not 10 at this point, he's like 16, but he's still only 19 inches tall. They force him to become a slave. And you're like, what what good is a 19 inch slave? Well, they found good for him because they made him fight a turkey. They put them both in like a little fight club cage match and he had to beat up a turkey and he won. He ends up becoming a spy, gets kidnapped again, and then gets involved in a plot to kill a king. Not the king he liked, another king. He goes to prison and died in an unmarked grave. Now you go, wait a second, you just said all this stuff about a grave. This is a memorial to him. It is a grave, but they don't know where he was actually buried at. When he did die, he did reach the height of four feet. So he was four feet tall when he died, and he died at the age 30. So he lived a good life. he I mean, I never fought a turkey. So, if you pick number five, you did not get baked into a pie and get killed by the king. You got baked into a pie, and when you hopped out, your life changed. You became an adventurer. Yes, you were a slave, part of the time. You did have to beat up a turkey, but you got involved in a world of political intrigue and royal courts and all sorts of great stuff. But let's continue our trip through the graveyard, because now we are coming up to... Okay, I'm calling an audible real quick. I'm calling an audible real quick. I was looking at one of them, and I'm like, that's lame. So we're not doing to the count of six anymore. You can only choose up to five. So I know that's kind of late in the episode, but you can choose now. Now, So if you chose six, if you chose number six, now choose two or three. Because the, the the number, I had one that was dumb, and I really considered not to do it, but it's such a famous gravestone. I'm going to go over it real quick, but I don't want to get too much into detail with it. In Salt Lake City, Utah, there's a tombstone. Because I know people are going to email and say, hey, you missed out this one. It's real. it's actually not fascinating at all. In Salt Lake City, Utah, there's a gravestone that says Lily E. Gray. June has her date of birth, date of death. It says Victim of the Beast 666. And people freak out and they're like, oh no, was that Aleister Crowley? Was he in? Did he have something to do with her death? I looked into it. She was 77 years old. She died of being 77 years old. She was married to a man who hated the government, thought the U.S. government was the beast, and that the Democrats, the Democratic government, killed his wife. He's just like some. He was a a convict who had these like prepper things. He believed the government was going to take over the world eventually, and so on and so forth. And he had that put on her gravestone because he was a lunatic. And then her family hated him so much that when he died, they buried him as far away as possible in the graveyard. So the it was. That, that's that. That was that one. I, a lot of people, that one's really famous because it seems mysterious. But when you look into it, it was just some crackpot who believes the government is the beast, which is a very common conspiracy theory, especially back then. So if you picked number six, that would have been you. But <laughs> we'll let you pick again. Pick two or three. And I'm going to get something to drink real quick. Okay, I'm back. I got my sparkling water here. Put on so much weight since I went on vacation. But it'll all come off like within a week or two. Let's go ahead and move on. We're going to move on to another gravestone here. Walking through the cemetery. Come across this big slab. This big, big grave You know what a gravestone is. <laughs> you come across one of those. And it says, Geo Spencer. You're like, oh, that's interesting. Sounds like a sci-fi channel show. No, it doesn't. It Sounds like a Disney channel show. Doesn't even sound like that. Anyways, we look. I'm like, you're like, Jason, just shut up. Just shut up and tell me how I'm going to die. I'm like, okay. We're looking at this gravestone. It says, lost life. This one is grammatically weird, and I'm wondering if they got paid, if they had got charged by the letter. Because it took me a while to make sense of it. Lost life by stab in falling on ink eraser, evading six young women. Here, let me start over, let me try reading like an actual sentence, rather than it appears on the gravestone. Lost life by stab and falling on ink eraser, evading six young women trying to give him birthday kisses and office metropolitan life building. Like what? So much of this stuff doesn't make sense. Ink eraser are there's little soft spongy things that used to like dry ink eraser, right? And he lost life by stab. Anyways, someone was really cheap when they got this guy's gravestone. True story. Actually reported in the newspaper. People got arrested or one person got arrested over this. The year is 1909. We're back in New York City. And if you pick two, you are young George Spencer Millay. You pick number two, you're walking through, is 1909 New York. You're like, hey, everybody read all about it. The papers, the papers. Bustling noises, infested with rats, surly Irish. You might even be a member of the Dead Rabbit Gang. They are still around back then, which would be pretty dope. But you right now are at work. Your name is George. You're 14 years old and you work at the Metropolitan Insurance Company. Fourteen? by the way. He worked in the accounting office. 1909. They had no laws against uh, child labor. 14-year-old boy working in the accounting office. He wasn't, like, cooking the books or nothing. He was helping with manual... Well, erasing ink is what he was doing. He was working, like... He wasn't actually doing the calculations, from what I can understand. He got the job only four months earlier, and the girls who also worked there were like, ooh, he's so cute. He's so, like, mannered, and he has, like... Clear skin and he's not covered in boils like the rest of these kids. They I added the boils part. But anyways, they did say that he was super hot and he had really good manners, which is nerd. But anyways, so they all were like pining for him. Now he was about to turn fifteen, and the girls in the community, the girls in the building thought wouldn't it be nice as they're like bobbing their hair wouldn't it be so nice if we walked up to george and we kissed him once for each year that he's been alive that he's existed on this planet and the other girls are like yes that's a great idea and i have a normal sounding voice i don't sound like a freak and she's like what do you mean so all the girls decide to chase down georgie and kiss him at the end of a shift now that would be one thing if he was like Well, one, it would be one thing if he was an adult and he could prepare for it. These girls, one of them was a 23-year-old woman who was like, oh, I'm totally going to, like, tackle this 15-year-old boy and kiss him. Ooh, that would be hot. It's so gross. But anyways, he's 14. He just sees a bunch of girls coming at him. He doesn't do a crane kick. Like, he doesn't get in a defensive position, but he doesn't know how to react. And they tackle him. Now, he had an ink eraser in his pocket. An ink eraser back then was actually like a metal wedge type tool with a sharp point that they used to like scrape ink off stuff. And so when they're kissing him and they tackle him, they hear him go, I'm stabbed, I'm stabbed. And they back up and blood is just shooting out of the chest wound. And everyone totally freaks out. And they're like, hurry up, someone invent a telephone and then use it to call an ambulance and then invent an ambulance. But eventually they do get... An ambulance there. They send like telegraph or carrier pigeon. They had phones back then. I'm just joking. But anyways, they get the kid in the ambulance and he dies. He doesn't make it to the hospital. The 23-year-old woman gets arrested, not for like sexual predator stuff. She gets arrested for murder. But as the police, because they just see a bunch of women descend on a young boy and then blood shoot out of his chest. Once cops start the investigation, once some surly Irish cop on the take from the dead rabbits who were paying him off, once they investigate the crime, they realize it was an accident, and she is found not guilty. Not guilty of murder. Guilty of being a pervo, but not guilty of murder. The age thing, I mean, I think most of them were around his age. You just have this weirdo 23-year-old woman also in the scene. But you get rid of her. Just assume that, let's say, you're in your 20s. You're going to get kissed to death by six beautiful, age-appropriate women, but then become fatally stabbed Because you put something in the wrong pocket. Not a terrible way to go. Not a terrible way to go. I would much rather be a dwarf. Would not want to be a pile of feet. But let's go ahead and move on to our last one. Now I'm walking you over. We're walking to these gravestones. And I go, you know, if you pick number three, you're this one. And they're like, well, actually, I picked number six. You forced me to pick number three. I'm like, silence. Silence. Come over to this gravestone. Come over to this gravestone. It says, in memory of Mary Jane McCoon. Wife of James W. Farrer, born, I love this, born about 1838, we don't know, born about 1838, died 1855. And then there's more. Bitten, this one's pretty self-explanatory. This gravestone has all the backstory you need. I did go research, but it pretty much explains everything that happened. So if you pick number three, this is you. Bing, you're out on a prairie. All by yourself, little shack pregnant you're like eight months pregnant and you're like this is totally weird i then all of a sudden i'm not there anymore you are alone if you pick number three you're standing out outside of a farmhouse pregnant feeling really weird and then you see a coyote walking through the prairie i think it snuck up on her i don't think you looked right at it and you see its mouth is foaming <sighs> Now the tombstone says, "Bitten by a rabid coyote, developed rabies. Became violent. So now you're in, now you're beating up a bunch of people. You got your your mouth is foam when you go into town. You're throwing people out of the saloon, kicking them when they're down. You like flatten their head and go. Pff. They're like, stop that pregnant lady. She'll destroy us all. And the lawmen are shooting at you. You're bulletproof. Rah! throwing tables across the pool hall." Not a pool. you're actually throwing not pool tables. I'm not giving you that much strength. You're just throwing tables around a pool hall. Did they have pool back then? Anyways, the point is, is that you've become violent. Ah, you raise your fist to the moon as the townspeople are chasing you with torches. Let's go back to the actual epitaph. It says... <sighs> so dark. So dark. It says... I'll read the whole thing because it make more sense in context. Bitten by a rabid coyote, developed rabies, became violent. We've already experienced that part. Was smothered with feather bed. When husband returned, she and her unborn child were dead and buried. So the townspeople did get you and you're like, oh, just rip your guts out. Blah, just, and you do that. You're actually ripping people's guts out. They finally hit you over the head with an anvil drag you back actually no they don't need to do that that would have killed you but at some point in the real story you get tied down to your bed because you're so violent and when they were when she was restrained to the bed she basically like got buried in her own blankets and suffocated because she was just thrashing about and she was pregnant and the dad was gone her husband was long gone he was on a trip he was on like a hunting trip or something like that and business trip business trip Maybe his business was hunting. I don't remember. But anyways, the husband comes back and she'd been dead for months. Because they definitely didn't have phones back then. He comes back and he's like, honey, I'm home. (laughs) The house is completely trashed. He's like, what is going on? It looks like some violent activity took place here. Honey, I'm home. Okay, sorry. That, 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 it's getting dark. It's getting dark. The point of the matter is if you pick number three, you are a pregnant woman bitten by a rabid coyote tore through a town in reality she just tore her house up but i'll give you a little bit more tore through town villagers the townspeople i mean had to fight you and then eventually they tied you to a bed where you suffocated man you and your baby died (laughs) so what i'm sorry i knew it was gonna be really really dark Tried to lighten the mood as much as i could but i knew it was gonna be dark so you know your fate you know how you're gonna die I'm going to tell you guys this right now. This is a little uplifting message from the end here. You, people don't have gravestones anymore. They're super expensive. I plan on just getting cremated if my body just isn't dumped in the middle of the forest. I don't care. Whatever. You, your life is your epitaph. How you interact with other people is the legacy you leave on the world. You don't need to have a witty saying or a grave marker or anything like that. The legacy you leave, the way you interact with other people, the way you help people is your epitaph. You will be remembered forever by your actions long after stone has been washed away by the elements. Go out there, do great things, interact with people in a great way, be a great person, be positive. That is your legacy. Even if you're bitten by a rabbit coyote, you can still go out there and say, I'm going to change the world. I'm going to change the world around me in even little ways, just by being extra nice, just by being a good person. That is your legacy. And I know it's mine. I absolutely know it's mine. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be your email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. At Dead Rabbit Radio is our Twitter. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day, but I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great day.